a moment of power. It's time for a Moment of Power podcast with Pastor Johnny Henderson, being brought to you by the Little Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Amen. 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 I want to continue our series, our Nehemiah series. This will be the fourth installment of that series. Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. All right. We'll start at verse 1, read down to verse 12. We'll read down to verse 12. If you're able to stand, would you please stand? Those of you that could, if you're able to stand, listen to these words. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are, a, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Verse 4, still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields our vineyards belong to others. Verse 6, Nehemiah says, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind, then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, You are charging your own people interest. So I continued, I'm sorry, so I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, As far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They did, They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Let the church say they knew they were wrong. <laughs> Verse 9, so I continue, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. And then he goes on to say, Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promise what they have promised verse 9 he says so I can tell you what you are doing is not right shouldn't you walk in the fear of God our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies I want to preach from the, on this subject this morning just for a few minutes you're doing it the wrong way you're right. doing it the wrong way you may be seated you're doing it wrong way the wrong way Leadership is on the table this morning. Let me sure say leadership. 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 You won't often hear about leadership in the church on a Sunday morning. On a Sunday morning. Most of the time in the context of the church, leadership is what I like to call a Saturday subject. A Saturday subject. I call it a Saturday subject because uh, we like to set aside our leadership trainings. We, we have all these fancy leadership conferences. Uh, we normally like to do those on Bright and sunny Saturday mornings. Are you hearing me today? That's why I call it the Saturday subject. 
We, uh, we reserve leadership training for those designated leaders, such as pastors, ministers, deacons, and ministry leaders. But the reality is the whole church needs to understand leadership in some way. In addition to that, I'm coming down your road. After salvation, you begin to be shaped and molded by the Holy Spirit into a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. After salvation, I say it all the time in Bible study, salvation is not the end, it's the beginning. After salvation, you begin to be shaped and molded by the Holy Spirit into a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let the church say leadership. leadership. That's the first thing, uh, that's important because the, that was the first thing that Jesus did after he picked his 12 disciples. He took them to the side of that mountain and gave them the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, y'all, it's essentially it was leadership training. Matthew 5, Matthew writes, uh, Now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, to him and he began to teach them. The text this morning, however, it, it highlights the antithesis to the image of Jesus' leadership or a biblical model of leadership. It offers the antithesis, but it also offers a model for biblical leadership or Christ-like leadership. Y'all bear with me for just a few minutes. Nehemiah 5, y'all, it, it raises some very important issues. Most important, perhaps arguably most important, it raises servant leadership. But also it raises poverty, exploitation, inequality, and injustice. That's what I see in the text. These issues, y'all, they're not ancient issues. These are issues that, these are not issues we only find on the pages of the Bible. They're, they're issues we deal with in our contemporary context today. Talk to me this morning, y'all. Uh, right here in America, and even right here in Chesapeake, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, the 757, we deal with injustice, we deal with poverty, we, we deal with homelessness, we deal with crime, we're dealing with economic oppression, and we deal with inequality. We, we have extreme violence in our society. Every, time, every day I turn on the news, somebody that got shot. Not just somebody, but multiple people have got sh gotten shot, y'all. So we, we deal with uh, ex extreme crime. We, we're dealing with injustice, y'all. We're, we're, we're having family issues, drug addiction, alcoholism, uh, mental illness, debt. We're ravaged by sin. The whole nine yards. And I like chapter 5 because it, 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 it applies to all of us this morning. Who, who is the better person to lead the way in your community than you? Than you. Who better than you? You, child of God, you have been graced by God to lead and make an impact in your sphere of influence in a way that glorifies God and leads souls to salvation. Who better than you? Uh, if I can borrow uh, Brother Murphy's crowd, uh, question, what you going to do about it? Let the church say leadership. 
This is why Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are all called in some manner to leadership. Now the problem is some of us, we shy away from leadership. We run away from it. But discipleship is leadership. Discipleship is what I'm going to call Jesus-saturated leadership. Up to this point, Nehemiah, we've seen God. God has provided resources for the city to be rebuilt and for the people themselves to be rebuilt. Uh, the people came together to rebuild and repair the walls to the city of Jerusalem, y'all. They had to deal with oppression or opposition, rather, from the outside of the camp. But then they started going through some difficult times. Uh, the problems... Last week we looked at it, they had some haters on the outside, but now they're, they're facing problems on the inside. They now have an economic crisis. The poor were short of food. The landowners were compelled to mortgage their properties for money. Some people were forced to borrow money at crazy interest rates because of the overwhelming taxes. And some were even forced to sell their children into slavery. The issues are not just social issues. They're, they're issues also of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As believers, we know and understand it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms people. Nehemiah has led the people in the rebuilding of the walls, but now the pressure is on Nehemiah once again to rise to the occasion of servant leadership. What is servant leadership, you might ask? I'm glad you asked. Leadership, watch this, is simply the capacity to guide uh, mentor or lead others. But servant leadership is a little bit different. Leadership is like collard greens without the ham hock. <laughs> servant leadership is collard greens with the ham hock. I'm trying, I'm trying to set it up for you. Servant leadership is an approach to leadership where we put the needs of others before, their, before our own desires and we act as a servant first. Jesus is the best model of servant leadership. He, he says in Matthew 20, whoever, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not, not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says if you, if you want to be great, you got to serve. That's what servant leadership is. Jesus is the paradigm or the model for servant leadership. And in this text today, chapter 5, we find Nehemiah, I'm going to say he's running parallel to the same thing Jesus, Jesus modeled. What can we learn from it? What can we learn from it? Here's the first thing we all understand. Servant leadership, it always considers the well-being of the people. It considers the, the well-being of the people. In other words, it's not about me, it's about them. If for, any of us, if for any of us to lead in a way that Jesus led, we should always consider the well-being of the people. In other words, we cannot ignore the needs of the people. As, as individually and corporately as a church. We can't ignore the needs of the people around. We can't ignore the needs of the people around us and at the same time try to call ourselves a disciple of Christ. If, if the only thing we're concerned about is us, 
then it's no longer about the people, but about you or me, the individual. If it's about me, then it doesn't honor Christ. I remember back in 2011, y'all, I went to our Navy instructor school. They taught us how to teach. Uh, they taught us this thing called the WIFM. W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? That's what they taught us, y'all. That's a tactic that we use to get the to get the students to pay attention to our lesson. We tried to sell them on what they would get out of the of the lesson, y'all. That's cool for for the classroom, but but I want to tell you, it's contrary to leadership in the kingdom of God. It's contrary to leading like Jesus, serving leadership. It, it embraces empathy over empire. The kingdom of God is, is never about personal empire. Amen. Rather, it's about serving people. This is why Jesus, we preach it every holy week. This is why Jesus, he lost his cool in the temple and he started flipping over tables because the priests, they were building empire instead of taking care of the needs of the people. He, he, the people were suffering and they were getting large and in charge. They were, they were the fat cats. The people are suffering. And Jesus goes on to quote Isaiah 56, 7. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of thieves. Servant leadership is about the people. But let me take it one step, one step more. In addition to that, we should never exploit or take advantage of people. We should never exploit or take advantage of people. Several, th several things going on in the text here, y'all. Uh, there was much to celebrate with the progress they made, yet under the hood, the problems still existed. Y'all, they had some problems. We find in the, in the first few verses here, they had some issues going on. Right at the top, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Verse two, Saul was saying, we and our sons and daughters were numerous, in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Verse 3, others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get grains during the famine. Verse 4, still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our, and our, our vineyards. And verse 5, our same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and though our children are as good as theirs, we, they even had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. They were being exploited. They were being taken advantage of because these are men that are helping to re rebuild the city. The problem is, y'all, they were running out of food in the city, not because of any curse by God, but because they had more people than they had food source at the time. And so they now, they've, they've, uh, They've experienced a famine or a shortage of food, but you got to remember Nehemiah has helping hands to rebuild a wall and people have poured in from all over to help. They are overwhelmed with help, but at the same time, they're suffering from famine or shortage of food. People are now complaining, y'all, they, their fellow Jews or their Jewish brothers, they, they couldn't produce enough food to keep up with the demand, so now there was outcry. People complain, y'all, they, they had to take out mortgages against their land. We know it today as a home equity loan. Uh, they had to take out home equity loan. Most of the time, y'all, we take out a home equity loan to do some work around the house or pay down some extra debt, but not the case here, y'all. They had to take out a second mortgage on their properties just to survive. 
and buy grain. They had to take out money just to pay the property taxes. You're not the first person to pay property taxes. Property taxes is not a new thing. The, the Persians, they continued the practice, the practice of real estate taxes just as the Babylonians had done. There was heavy taxation under King Artaxerxes. And it turned, to, turned into economic oppression. Some suggest, y'all, that the interest on these loans was high as 40%. Can you imagine that? Even worse, if they couldn't afford to pay the taxes, they had to sell their children into slavery. And then those children would have to work until that debt was paid. Not like Chattel, child saving that we, our ancestors experienced here in America where they were stripped of their identity and their dignity, but it was still not good, y'all. This debt slavery, what do we call it, what we're talking about, they, they, it was pure servitude where you served until the wages were paid. You, you served until that debt that your family owed, those nobles and those officials, you served until it was paid. I want to suggest to you today, as disciples of Jesus Christ and as a church body, we should always be concerned about what people are going through. That, that's one of the best ways we can demonstrate the love and leadership of Jesus Christ. Nehemiah, he had a response to the cries, y'all. He became angry. He says in verse 6, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was angry. He's ticked off now. Because he's heard the concerns about the people who he had enlisted to help rebuild the walls and the gates to the city. This, this reveals a whole lot about Nehemiah's response to these greedy men that have exploited the needs of the people. He, he shows his concern by the fact that he heard their outcry. He says he has heard the cries of the people. He listened and as they told him about all the injustice that they have faced at the hands of their very own people. Their very own people sold them out. What's that old saying? All skin folk ain't kin folk. That their very own people had sold them out and taken advantage of them. And if we'll be honest, he has every right to be angry because he cares about the people. And so he goes on to confront this wrongdoing, y'all. So the first thing, we, we got to be concerned about the well-being of people. That, that's what it's all about. It's, it's not about empire. It's not about, uh, it's not about uh, creating your own kingdom or your own empire. It's about the people of God. That's what leadership, serving leadership is about. But secondly, the text teaches us we have to always operate with the integrity and righteousness of God. Always, let the church say always. always. You gotta always operate with the integrity and the righteousness of God. When we get that piece right, when we operate with the integrity and righteousness of God, then as leaders, as we are leading like Jesus Christ, we will never be afraid to confront challenges. In our effort to serve God and do the work of God, y'all, we cannot be afraid to confront challenges. This is, this is what we see modeled in Nehemiah. This is what we all see modeled by Jesus. Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah for, for the purpose of his ministry. He came to confront the challenges of the time. Listen to what he said. Luke 4, 18 says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. 
to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, Jesus wasn't afraid to confront the challenges and beloved, if we're going to be real disciples of Christ, if we're going to lead like Jesus, we have to confront challenges. What we see here in Nehemiah, he acted with integrity, he acted with righteousness, but he also acted with wisdom. He had truth on his side. He, he, he knew that God was not pleased with the actions of these greedy people. He considered what the people were saying and he, he chose to act. Now we gotta walk the same way. We gotta, we gotta walk with wisdom, integrity, and righteousness. Amen. Nehemiah, he's not afraid, so he rebukes these guys. He calls them out for their injustice they are perpetrating on the people. He calls them out for the inequality they were creating amongst the people. He identifies the root of the problem. That the people were facing. The root of the problem was greed. Uh, when, there's an, when there's a lack of integrity and righteousness, then you're subject to act in greed. The problem was greed. It, it was this trickle-down economic system they were operating. Have y'all heard that before? Uh, trick, trickle-down economics is supply-side economics. We used to call it Reaganomics after Ronald Reagan. Uh, trickle down is supply side economics. The, the theory is that economic prosperity will flow downward from the supply side or the wealthy job creators. That's the theory. Instead, what happens is it creates inequality and it becomes unbearable for the people. Uh, you can say amen because we're living in it right now. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, we're separated by the halves. And the have-nots. This is the same system they were running here. It's trickle-down economics. But it was more tricked than trickle-down. Because the people were being tricked into their own pain and suffering. Nehemiah, he calls them out because they were perpetrating injustice. He rebukes them for charging interest to their own people. Or, or what the King James called exacting Usury. He said in verse 7, I pondered them in my mind and accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. It goes on to say, so I called together a large meeting to deal with them. Notice he didn't act in a hurry, y'all. He said he pondered and took some time to consider a response. We, we shouldn't be afraid to confront challenges, but we got to we got to be wise in how we deal with the issues. It's always better to take a moment to reflect before we speak. Uh, he, he took a moment, then he rebuked them for taking advantage of the people by charging unnecessary interest on the loans. This wasn't supposed to happen to their own people, y'all. Deuteronomy 23 verse 19 says, Do not charge a fellow Israelite interest, whether on food, whether on money or food or anything else that may earn interest. Can I tell you God is not pleased when we try to take advantage of people. God is not pleased. You may think, we may think we're getting away with it, but eventually what's done in the dark will come to light. What's been hidden will eventually be revealed. 
It, it looked all good in chapter 4, but in chapter 5, the onion, the layer has been peeled from the onion. We got some shady characters in our own camp. God is never pleased when we try to take advantage of people. That's the antithesis of Christ-like leadership. Nehemiah, he challenged their integrity, y'all. He does a couple things here in these second set of verses. He says, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they couldn't find anything to say. Funny, when you call people out, they, they get tight lips. They couldn't find anything to say. But, but on the surface, y'all, they, they appeared to be concerned but for the well-being of the people. But deep down inside, they were corrupt and sinful. For us, we must maintain our integrity at all times. And that's, that's important, y'all, because in this crazy world today, y'all, We'll, whether we want to believe it or not, people are looking for something that's real. People are looking for, they're looking to be connected to a real church. They're looking to be connected to authentic believers and disciples of Jesus Christ. And you just might be the one they're looking at. They expect us to practice what we preach. These nobles and these officials, they, they wouldn't practice what they were preaching, y'all. And so Nehemiah, he calls them out. We always talk about loving God, loving others the same way God does. But when the rubber meets the road, will that really be the case? Let me say it one more time. We always talking about loving others the way God does. But when the rubber meets the road, when the light switch gets turned on, will that be the case? So he calls them out on their integrity. Then in verse 9, he points out their hypocrisy. Uh, hypocrisy thicker than cold grits. He said in verse 9, so I continue, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? What you are doing is not right. In other words, these men, they knew the truth. They knew about God. They knew what God expected of them. Yet they did the opposite. This bothered Nehemiah because these men, these were the men who had watched them stand in opposition against old boy Sambalot, Tobiah, and the others. He calls them out because they're he calls them out because they're not walking in the fear of God. We we must always walk or operate with integrity and righteousness and, and walk in the fear of God. What does that mean, walking in the fear of God? It means we, we're serious about God. Amen. We take God serious, and we're serious about doing right by God. Amen. When we don't walk in the fear of God, we're liable to walk unjustly. We're, we're liable to live any kind of way. We're liable to treat people any kind of way. Amen. That's the opposite of God because God is a just and righteous God. Injustice, what these guys are doing, injustice, inequality, is contrary to God's character. We should always bring honor to God in our living, in our leading, and our serving. But the last thing he does, he, 
He confronts the challenge by reminding them of their responsibility to the people. Serving leadership is about a responsibility to the people. He says in verse 10, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us, let us stop charging interest. He says in verse 11, give back them to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and the olive oil. Nehemiah, he only offered one option. That one option is do the right thing. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. That's the only option. There's no, you can't skirt the edge. You can't go around it. You got to go straight at it. Do the right thing. He urged them to restore everything that they took from the people and even the interest that had been collected. He reminded them of their responsibility to the Lord and to those of like faith. This was simply what was, what was expected of them as God's people, y'all. The same is true for each one of us. We only have one option, and that's to please the Lord and do what is right. We, we must do the right thing and live for God. Are you with me this morning? Most of us have been in church all of our lives. We should know what God expects of us. Amen. And, and even if you're a new believer, even if you, you're just starting out, you have to let the Holy Spirit guide you. Amen. We, we have to assume the responsibilities we have and we got to live as God would want us to live. We should never uh, be satisfied with anything less. Don't be satisfied with anything less than living right and doing right. Uh, the problem today, too many Christians, y'all, they're only interested in what they can get rather than how they can serve. What's in it for me? Well, oh, it's all about what I can get, not about who I can help or who I can serve or how I can please God. But if we if we get it right, souls will be saved. God will be pleased. Uh, our lives will be better. Hallelujah, somebody. If we get it right, then God will continue to bless us from the crown of our head to the soles of our feet. He'll bless everything that's attached to us. Too many Christians today, it's about me, me, me. What's in it for me? We want, some people won't leave. Uh, not leave, but leave. Some people won't leave. Some people won't serve. Let me give you a demonstration. Unless they can get something out of it. But we see in the text, we got to operate with integrity and the righteousness of God. So number one, there is concern for the well-being of people. Secondly, operate with integrity and the righteousness of God. But the last thing the text teaches, this is my favorite one. This is the hardest one. Unselfishness is the best practice. All right. Unselfishness is the best practice. When, when, whether you're a, a servant leader or just a servant, unselfishness is the way to go. That's right. It's the way to go. That's right. That, that's one thing that's lacking in this world today. Unselfishness. But unselfishness is rooted in humility. But then unselfishness leads to empathy and compassion for people. Right. 
One of the greatest things we learn from Jesus Christ, y'all, is his compassion for people. I love that because whenever Jesus encountered someone who was hurting or in need of encouragement, he looked at them, he served their needs because he had compassion for them. I think about the woman with the issue of blood all the time. Jesus, he's traveling down the road. He's surrounded by a crowd. That woman had been bleeding for 12 years. And she said, if I can just get through this crowd, if I can just touch the hem of this garment. Everybody else is stargazing. They're starstruck over Jesus. But this woman, she just wanted to be healed. And Jesus, in all of his glory, he stopped. He said, who touched me? Woman, your faith has made you whole. Jesus, he's unselfish, y'all, because he had... Compassion. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to live like Jesus, you you gotta imitate Jesus Christ. What I like about Nehemiah is after he rebuked the nobles and the officials, and after they repented of their injustices in the preceding verses, he demonstrates unselfishness. He says in verse sixteen, instead. I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Watch this, verse 17. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. That's unselfishness right there. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, some poultry were prepared for me and every 10 days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all of this, watch this, I never demanded the food allotted to the government because the demands were heavy on the people. And Nehemiah, he became unselfish and he gave everything he had to meet the needs of the people. That's, that's servant leadership right there. He goes on to say in verse 19, he says, Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. What we need to understand this morning, unselfishness reveals the character of Jesus Christ in you. And here, Nehemiah, he offers his personal, personal testimony, and by doing so, he reveals the character he possesses. He stayed committed to the work. He kept his focus. He, he remained committed to building the wall. He was, he was determined to not allow distractions or obstacles stand in his way. Even when challenged by the Pharisees and the governors of his time, even Jesus stayed committed to the work of ministry. And the problem with us, y'all, there's so much in our world today that distract us and hinders us from living the lives that God has called us to live. But we need the same resolve that Nehemiah possessed and we need the same resolve that Jesus possessed. We need to be determined to do the work of the Lord. He reveals his compassion for the people in verses 17, y'all. He gave, he gave out of his abundance for the good of everybody else. But what I love, he, he knew where his reward came from. I love that he says in verse 19, Remember we, me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. I like the King James also. The King James says, think upon me, my God. He says, he's saying to the King James, think about me, God. 
for the good according to all I have done for these people. So when you're serving the Lord, be confident that the Lord will take care of you. Anybody know that God will take care of you? I come to tell you this morning, don't worry about the pats on the back. Don't worry about the attaboys. God will take care of you. He knew that God had sent him there and he knew that God was going to take care of him while he was there. And we live in a society that's driven by desire, but all we need to do is stay focused on the Lord and work for the Lord and he'll take care of the rest. Amen. I don't know about you, but I would rather have the uh, the, the goodness of the Lord instead of the, the approval of people. Amen. I would rather have the favor and the blessings of the Lord instead of the pats on the back from people, from the crowd. I just want God. Keep your pat on the back. Give me Jesus. Can't worry about the treasure. We can't worry about the accolades. Just do the work of the Lord. Jesus says, don't worry about your treasures. Don't worry about treasures on earth. All that stuff's going to fade away. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'm done. It's time to get on out of here. But the reality is, y'all, God wants to use us, all of us. All of us. He wants to use all of us for his pleasure and for his glory. Young people... Uh, those in between and those on the upper end, he wants to use all of us for his pleasure and his glory. The only thing God wants from us is commitment. We find in Nehemiah is he cared about the people. He operated with integrity and the righteousness of God. He practiced unselfishness. unselfishness. He, he sought to please God rather than enjoy the pleasures of life. It's okay to have stuff. I'm not saying that. I ain't saying you gotta be broke, busted, and disgusted. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, if you focus on God, He's gonna take care of it. He'll take care of you. God knows the desires of our heart. He knows the desires of our heart. He knows what we stand in need of. He knows what we need, when we need it. We just have to live to please Him. I, I, we we got to be willing to please him in all that we say and do. If, if that's, is that your desire today? But I, I marvel at the unselfishness I see in the text, y'all. W.E.B. Du Bois, he once said, uh, the ruling of men is the effort to direct the individual actions of many persons towards some end. This end theoretically should be the greatest good of all, but no human group has ever reached this ideal because of ignorance and selfishness. Uh, we can't, we can't uh, please God with, with selfishness and ignorance. I'm done. But I got to put on Jesus one more time, y'all, because unselfishness was his mantra. The, the unselfishness of Jesus is why we're gathered here today. The unselfishness of Jesus is why we worship him today. Amen. And I recall John writing in 1 John chapter 4. He says about the unselfishness of Jesus Christ through the cross on Calvary. 
The unselfishness selfishness of Jesus was made possible through the love of God. John writes, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. John goes on to say, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John goes on to say, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Amen. And I'm reminded of the song, there is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its word. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. He says, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. I, I, I love, I don't know about you, but I love him because of his complete unselfishness. His, his unselfishness is demonstrated because his day, he gave his life that we might live. Let me say that one time. He gave his life that we might live. I love his unselfishness because he looked beyond my faults and saw all my needs. I love his unselfishness because of the old rugged cross. That cross, y'all, it's, it's, it's the symbol of unselfishness of Jesus Christ. Uh, that old song says it was at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. I love that. And the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. And now I am happy all the day. It was at the cross where they placed the crown of thorns on his head. It was at the cross where they hung him high. It was at the cross where they stretched him wide. It was at the cross where they pierced him in his side. It was at the cross where they drove nails in his feet. It was at the cross where they drove nails in his hand. It was at the cross where he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was at the cross where our salvation was sealed. was sealed, but he didn't stay on that cross. Uh, he didn't stay on that cross. He, he came down from that cross and he laid in a borrowed tomb and he, he laid in that borrowed tomb all night Friday and all day and night Saturday, but on the third day I said on the third day he got up with all power in his hand and because of that we ought to give him all Jesus Christ is complete unselfishness. Complete unselfishness. I want to encourage you today, if you, if you want to lead and live like Jesus, just look to Jesus. He showed us the right way. These guys, these nobles and these officials, they were doing it the right way. I'm sorry, the wrong way, but Jesus is the right way. The right way. 
a moment of power. It's a moment of power with Pastor Johnny Henderson being brought to you by the Little Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Connect with them by visiting their website, lzmbc.net. Pastor Henderson, Lady Henderson, and the Little Zion family want to thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you will not miss a moment of power.